Okay. Guys, I am so glad to be with you tonight. Um, Tonight is going to be a really good night, and so I am just honored. My name is Alex Sheets. I'm one of the college ministers here. I'm the outreach minister. Praise the Lord. It's like the the glory of God just opened up. Um, Today we're going to be talking about an interesting topic, Um, but before we do that, I want to open up with a question for you to talk with your neighbor. If you were to send a missionary, you're going to send someone out, what would be the process for that? Like, what would be the qualifications? How would you prepare? What would you talk through? If you were going to send someone, how would you prepare them? Talk about that for like a minute, and then we'll get going. Okay, okay. go ahead and start coming back to me, start coming back to me. Um, I'm sure there were some things that you talked about. Uh, the idea is, wh- what would go into you sending a missionary? I- I'm just kind of curious, um, how many of you, like, I would make that, uh, that qualification, you would send me out? I mean, what do you think? Yes or no? Me? Yes? Uh, oh, wow. Well. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't actually see. There's like only a few numbers of hands, so it looks very small. I don't know. Um, whatever you said, um, it's an interesting thought process to go in the preparation. And um, I don't know. As I've been prepping, I think I would send some of you out with a lot more intentionality and in prepping and what we would talk about. Our conversation tonight is going to be on the topic of suffering. And I would like to begin by telling you the history of the church, the history of the family of faith for many of you that are Christian. I want to give you two stories when it comes to this. Um, Within this history, there are people who suffered. Some of them went out who were missionaries. Some of them were pastors And they faithfully witnessed to the point of death. And we call these people martyrs. The first, earliest one that is not recorded in the Bible is a guy by the name of Ignatius of Antioch. And Ignatius is a really, really cool person. They call him Theophorus, image bearer. The one who bears the image of God because he was so righteous. He was captured um, in Rome around A.D. 100. And he was taken from Rome, from Antioch to Rome. And as he was taken from Antioch to Rome, he's writing letters to the churches that are nearby. Because he knows that when he gets to Rome, he is going to be thrown to the Colosseum. He is going to be thrown to the lions. That's what happened for the crime of being Christian back in those days. And he's writing to the Christians in those days strengthening them, saying, be strong in the midst of suffering. And they actually write back to him. They say, hey, we can come, I don't know, get you out. We can come rescue you. We can bribe or something. And these are his words. He says, I am God's wheat, and I am to be ground by the teeth of wild beasts so that I may become the pure bread of Christ. It's a serious man. I am God's wheat, 
and I'm going to the lions so that I might be ground to the teeth. That's Ignatius. An early or a later story by the name is someone by the name of Jim Elliot, and many of you know Jim Elliot. Um, Jim Elliot is a guy in the 1900s, and he was convicted of the lost people in the country of Ecuador, um, a Native American tribe called the Huacus Indians. And so him and his buddy, they go to Ecuador. They've trained and they've prepared to go take the gospel to them at any cost. And after all these preparations, they get to Ecuador, they travel to these people, and there's this moment when spearmen come out. And they have to decide what to do, because I actually was researching this um, this week, um, they actually had guns on their person, and they, they could have defended themselves. But they had taken a vow to God that they were not going to use anything to harm people. They were there to spread life and the message of Christ. And so they were killed. And later, through this incredible story of redemption and forgiveness um, and taking up the call, Elizabeth Elliot goes to these same people and becomes a missionary. It's an incredible story. These, this is the last words, or one of the last words, of Jim Elliot. He says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. From the time of Jesus to now, one researcher estimates that 70 million Christians have died for their faith. 70 million. That's an incredible number. Second question to give you for tonight. If you were sending out a missionary and you knew that they were going to suffer and die, if you were going to send me out and you knew I would suffer and die, would you do it? Could you do it? Because if I'm going to be honest, as I think about some of these people in the crowd, if I think about some of you, I don't know if I can. To know the future that's ahead of you and to send you anyway, can I tell you the topic for tonight? God knew what was ahead of them. And God sent them anyway. We're talking about suffering tonight. And one thing that you and I have to get clear at the very beginning is that our views of suffering, our views of the good life, our views of blessedness and what life is supposed to be in God's are radically different. Radically different. He has different plans for suffering, different plans for the church, and different plans for you than you and I would ever have made. I'm going to argue for one thing tonight, that suffering is essential for the Christian faith. I've been reading testimonials of people who suffered, uh, people who suffered and martyrs, and two things have struck me as we move towards 1 Peter. One is that they don't ask the kind of questions that we ask. It just struck me as interesting. The questions that we ask, the whys, I'm sure they struggle, but they don't ask the same type of questions, and that was interesting to me. The second thing that struck me as interesting is they quoted extensively from 1 Peter, extensively, all over the place. Something about 1 Peter draws the person in suffering. 1 Peter is a book on suffering. So I'm not really surprised. I don't know if you've caught this theme yet. Every single week, it seems like we could talk about suffering over and over again. We, we could bring up a sermon on suffering in every text that's came up. Chapter 1, verse 7. Suffering is like a furnace for your faith, a refining fire. Chapter 2, 21. You are called to suffer because Jesus Christ is the suffering servant of Isaiah. Chapter 3.18, suffer righteously because Jesus' suffering made you righteous. 
And now here in verse, chapter 4, verse 13, is the central one that gets quoted all the time. And we'll get to it here in a little bit. It is all over the place. Suffering is essential for the Christian faith. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Would you guys let me pray and then we'll get rolling in First Peter. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you that we get the chance to open your word. Lord, I ask that your spirit would be with us. God, I ask that your spirit would be with me for graciousness and for humility. I know, God, I know how heavy these topics can be. That we're talking about suffering, Lord. We're talking about the call of discipleship in the cross. God, help me take this with humility, but Lord, I pray that your word is preached tonight, and I pray that your spirit is with each and every person here, that they could hear what you have to say. God, I pray that you would give us the power to take up the cross in our life, to embrace the suffering that you have for us, whatever that may be. I pray that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. First Peter, open your Bibles to 1 Peter 4. We're going to be in verses 12 through 19. It's very short, so I'm going to go slowly as we walk through this. 1 Peter verse 12 begins with this. Dear friends, literally the word is beloved. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you. There's a couple things happening here, even in this moment. The fiery ordeal. Like, this is the furnace that he's talking about. Like, what is he talking about? Um, read 1-7 that I've already mentioned. These have come, these tribulations, these trials that are upon the Christians that are in exile, scattered among the dispersion. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when the Christ Jesus is revealed. Peter is saying in this idea in chapter 1, in returning to it now, that afflictions are coming, but these afflictions are a really good thing. These afflictions, these tests in the world, they are not something to be shunned away from, but they are something to be embraced because they are like a furnace to refine us and bring us for glory. And he says something interesting that is small, and I just want to just bring your attention to it. He doesn't say if. He doesn't say should the fiery ordeal come. He says when that comes. When it comes, don't act surprised. He seems to treat it as if it was part of the Christian life. Verse 13. Instead, rejoice as you share. This is the big one. Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. Literally, the words are, rejoice to the degree that you are sharing the sufferings of Christ, so that you may rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. We're going to come back to this later. This is going to be the main portion of our second half, but I just want to even show you right now that in Peter's mind, as he's done already, the connection between suffering and glory. 14. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The Spirit of God rests on you. Isaiah 11 says this. It's the same verbiage. The one coming, the root of Jesse, the Spirit of God shall rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, might, the Spirit of knowledge and of godliness. I just want you to know that Peter is taking this language that is applied to Jesus that the gospel of God applies to Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the third member of the Trinity that comes down and rests on Him. He's applying it to Christians. The Spirit of God and of glory rests on you, but He's doing it to remind them. He says, when you are mocked, you are blessed 
Because remember, the Spirit of glory is upon you. Verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. This is pretty simple. Um, he, the first three, sorry, the first two are crimes, and the third is just a blanket statement. Don't be a murderer, don't be a thief, don't be just an evildoer. And then the third one, it, it, the fourth one isn't even a crime. Uh, a meddler is only used uh, twice in Scripture. It's basically a trouble per, troublemaker that gets involved too much in the other people's business. Peter's saying, don't be evil, and then don't be annoying. <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> maybe use that later. First Peter says, don't be a meddler. Um, but the message is this. Peter says, live in such a way that the only crime against you that the state or that society can give you is the crime of being a Christian. I just want to remind you that in the story of Jesus, three people were crucified. There's a thief. There's a murderer. But there's only one that was a Messiah. Suffering that Peter's trying to get across to you must be messianic. Let none of you suffer as an an evildoer, a murderer, X, Y, Z, but, verse 16, if any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. They would have been ashamed. They would have been ashamed. Not only would they have been ashamed, they would have been fearful of having that name. I want to read to you uh, a little bit of Roman history uh, background. It comes from Pliny the Elder, who was writing to Emperor Trajan around the time of 100 AD when some of these persecutions that I already mentioned about, um, it goes like this. Pliny writes and says this, I asked these people who he captured for the sake of being Christian, I asked them if they were Christian. There's that name. If they admitted it, I asked them a second time and a third time threatening them with execution. Those who remain stubborn, I ordered to be executed, for I was in no doubt whatever it was which they were confessing that their obstinacy and their inflexible stubbornness should at any rate be punished, i.e. with death. That is 50 years after Peter writes, not to be ashamed of the name that they bear there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of fear for that name. But can I tell you something really cool about that verse that you and I don't really see? The name Christian that we throw around willy-nilly, um, it's used only three times in Scripture. Only three times. Two times in Acts. Acts 11 and Acts 26. Both of those times, it is used in the mouth of a non-believer, almost like a slander or slur. Christians, that one sect, those people. This is the only time in the Bible it is used by a Christian. And he is saying, do not be ashamed of that name. Glorify God for having that name no matter what society says. I think that's a message that we need to hear today too. Let's move a little quicker. Verse 17 through 19. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. That's an idea that comes from 1 Peter 2. God's household is God's temple. And you, Christians, are stones that are being built into a temple. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? Then he quotes a proverb. And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly in the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. He ends the section with this. As you suffer... As you are living righteously, as you are being a Christian, 
entrust your very soul, that's the wording, your very soul, to your faithful Creator. Tonight, we are talking about suffering. And it's a hard topic. I want to just take this first half to slow down and back up and just get some frameworks ahead before we jump into the second half so that you, can, you and I can have a conversation about Christian suffering. If you struggle with this topic, the idea of suffering in general, you're in really good company. Humanity has struggled with suffering from the beginning of time. Our culture struggles with suffering today. Um, there's literally books in the Bible written completely about suffering. Go read the book of Job and see a righteous man wrestling like, why, God, is this happening? And see what answers he gets. Suffering is a difficult topic, and so I just want to be clear with what we're saying. A definition, a very loose definition of suffering is this. Any unpleasant experience that you would seek to get rid of. It's pretty basic. It's an unpleasant experience. It's a good starting point, though. And there's actually two types of suffering that we're talking about. There's general suffering, a part of the human condition that every human being faces. General suffering. Every human being in this life faces suffering in some way, whether that's death, whether that's sickness, depression, you know what suffering is. And then there is specific suffering, specific Christian suffering that comes upon you solely for the sake of being in Christ. Um, Drew Moss says it this way, suffering that you can choose to stop at any moment. All you would need to do is stop being a Christian or hide your faith. That's specific suffering, and that's actually the main thing Peter is focused on. But whichever type of suffering you're dealing with, you need to have answers for that. You do. You need to have answers before it comes upon you, because it it brings some doubts. And if I could just say, everyone needs to have answers to suffering. This isn't actually just a Christian problem. Like, every human being experiences this. And we need to have a way of finding hope and meaning through a life that is filled with it. Christians face a particular problem, and it is called the problem of suffering. Often goes with the problem of evil, and it goes something like this. Where, God, are you in our suffering? Why, God, is this happening to me? And I will seek to give you some answers some ways of walking through this. And, I, and I'm just going to say right at the beginning, this is a big topic, and I can't do it in a, in a span of five minutes to cover it satisfactorily. But if I can, I want to just tell you the Christian story and see if it gives us perspective. You see, the Christian story begins with the idea of creation. God creates man in His image In a garden paradise where there's no suffering whatsoever. And not only is there no suffering, that he cares so deeply about these human beings that he cares about their work. He cares about their relationships. He cares if they're lonely. God Almighty walks with these people daily. You can't say that he's distant. You can't say that he doesn't care. Suffering only comes in when sin enters And the relationship between God and man is fractured. It wasn't a part of the original plan. It's also not a part of the final plan. Not the beginning, not the end. There's creation and then there's this idea of restoration that at the end of time, God is going to make all things new. God is going to make our bodies new. God is going to take death and swallow it up. God is going to take everything that might be considered suffering and wipe it away. One author by the name of Dostoevsky says this, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. 
that all the, huma- the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. At the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atoning of all the crimes of humanity, for the blood that they've shed that will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. That's big words. I'm not going to lie. That's big words from Dostoevsky. This idea of restoration, making all things new, making all things right. I don't know how far I'm willing to take that, but can I tell you this? I do believe in redemption. I do believe that whatever suffering human beings face, God can not only make it better, make it new, take it, you out and use your scars in a beautiful way later, I believe that even now, God can work in you. In your darkest moments, I believe that God can take them and shine brightly through them and send you out with strength and power to help others. I don't believe you're broken. I don't believe suffering has mastered anyone because I believe in redemption and restoration. It's not the plan in the beginning It's not the plan in the end, as Revelation 21 says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The older things have passed away. But if we can be honest, there's a whole lot of it now. What do you do with that? There's a whole lot of suffering right now, and honestly, I believe that God could end it. I believe that, in a sense, God is so powerful that suffering is gone, pain is gone, evil is gone, and this is why a lot of people really struggle with the idea of God. They really struggle with the thought of God. Why does he allow suffering? There's questions that go along with it. There's still problems. For instance, most of the evil that we've been talking about rather vaguely is caused by people. So if he were to and remove them, would he, would he remove them? Would he remove the really evil people? I don't know. Or some would say, just make them good. Just take away all the evil that has happened and, and fully restore them. But in biblical language, to make people good is to restore their relationship with God. And so in a sense, it would be to take whatever stance they are in God and say, you're now redeemed in Christ. You're now going to follow me. And some people would have a huge problem with that too. Just turning off wherever they are, turning off their free will. There's problems with that, too. I don't know the answer. I don't know if I can give you full answers. And honestly, if I can just one-on-one right now, if I gave you perfect answers, I don't know if that would fully help the suffering that we face in life. But I do know this. The Bible speaks of Jesus as God and as man who came down in the lowest point in our story, fully God and fully man, stepped into our suffering to suffer. And not only suffering, we believe that Jesus suffered the fullest extent of what anyone else is suffering. Please go read the Garden of Gethsemane. That man was a man in shock. He was sweating blood. Because there's this idea of the cup of God's wrath was coming upon him. All the evils, all the sufferings of all time, God was putting on him. That God became a man to enter into the suffering so that we could be made right with God. I don't know why this does to the problem, but I do know this 
It cannot be that God is distant. It cannot be that God doesn't care. God cares so much that he entered in and died for us. And it gives us one thing. Perspective. That if God Almighty somehow died, like think about that for a second. This idea, we don't even know how to wrap our mind around the the idea of God being 100% man, 100% God. And we certainly don't know how to wrap our minds around the idea of God dying. But Peter saw this. Peter saw Jesus Christ walk around and Peter saw Jesus die. And it shifted his entire thinking about what it means to live and what it means to suffer. It shifts the calling upon our life. The cross has shaped everything. And tonight, Peter is once again placing the cross in front of our eyes. Verse 12, when the fiery ordeal comes to you, instead rejoice as you share the sufferings. Rejoice as you suffer. They are good things. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but glorify God. Glory. Peter seems to think that suffering is essential for the Christian life because suffering leads to glory. We're going to talk more about that part in the second half. Let's take a short break. Before we begin with the second half, I do want to just give a shout-out to Proem. Um, in, I believe, March, in the height of the, uh, or I guess the beginning of the Ukrainian war, um, some of the Sunnybrook ministers had the chance to go over there um, and support them while they were ministering to people who truly were suffering um, and I was one of the few that got to go, and it truly was a privilege. Um, I could not speak more highly of a ministry. They are doing kingdom work. Uh, they are serving people and loving people who are in crisis right now. And then when this war ends, um, which hopefully one, time, one day it will, they will continue to serve and love. Because I was really struck um, we were there and in a very teary-eyed meeting that we just got to sit in. Um, one of the ministers just in tears, because there's ministers, there's missionaries, there's um, Ukrainian refugees. One of the missionaries just said, I- I'm proud because this is who we are. This is what we do. We love people in crisis and we love people out of crisis. So... Proem is awesome. Give to them. If you ever get the chance to go, 100% go. I'm here to argue that for Christians, Christians should not only expect, but the essential life suffering is a part of the life of a Christian. It is essential. It is fundamental. It is who we are. Something about being a Christian involves suffering. And I want to be clear before we get going in this half, I I just want to be clear because it can be hard to make vague statements from the stage when some of this should be in in a conversation. Suffering is essential But it is not the goal. The goal of the Christian faith is for you to worship the Lord Jesus in every part of your life. The goal of the Christian faith is to love God and to love people relentlessly. There is no barriers. No barriers to that. But the biggest barrier is our own selves. And that is why the goal is discipleship. And for whatever reason, the cross is essential for discipleship. We're not masochists. 
seeking suffering. That's stupid. We're not idiots going out and just trying to find people to make us suffer because we want to fulfill whatever it means. We're Christians. And the cross is essential for our discipleship, for our becoming more like Christ. And this is what it means when we talk about Christian sufferings. And I just, I just want to prep you, because I know we can talk about vague things. Like, you will be mocked for your faith. You will, the more you step out and own your faith in life, the more there will be a little bit of tension, a little bit of rub in your relationships. The more you live out fully what Jesus has to you, the more uncomfortable you will be and others will be. You will be mocked. You will experience family tension. There will be societal pressures on you to give up what the Bible believes. This is what is called deconstruction. This is why it's an issue. It suddenly becomes very easy for Christians who have been Christian their whole life to just figure out a new Jesus and they learn new things and all of a sudden they've come to a more enlightened stance and their stance is more comfortable with the world. It's peer pressure. They've given in and given up on some deeply held truths. Saying no to pleasures. Saying no to wealth. Christians, part of being Christian is to suffer. Your faith will cost you. And if it is not costing you, are you carrying your cross? Suffering is coming. This life for the Christian, and in general, but especially for the Christian, is not a hill you can coast down. It is a mountain range you climb. It is full of valleys, but it is a journey you go on. This life is not a vacation. The Bible speaks of it as a war, and you are soldiers in that fight. I want to just read some verses for you. I'm just going to read these over you. And I want you to consider some of the things that are being said in them. 1 Peter 4.12, and the idea of suffering is coming. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Romans 8.16, the Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We really like that part. It's a really beautiful part. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. Acts 14.22, Paul came strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many trials, through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Luke 14.27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those are Jesus' own words. And finally, 2 Timothy 3.12. But in this one, I just want to give you a story. Um, this comes from a John Piper sermon where he's talking about a missionary in Europe by the name of Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew was a missionary. But they call him God's smuggler. It's, it's a really cool story. God's smuggler. What a name. Um, during communist, during Soviet, Soviet Russia, when being a Christian was illegal in Russia... Brother Andrew made it his goal to smuggle Bibles and Christian literature back and forth behind Soviet lines. Something that was outlawed, and if he would have been captured, he would have faced jail in the Soviet prison. But he did. He's an incredible man. It is an incredibly powerful story. And as the story goes, one day he is holding a Bible study for some pastors in Budapest. And in this Bible study... There is a man that walks in, a pastor from Romania that apparently was well known in those times. And this pastor had been in prison for many years. He just got released. 
And he goes to Brother Andrew, and Brother Andrew realizes that it's time for him to be quiet. Because when a man like that walks in, you don't speak, you listen. And so brother, he, this pastor from Armenia speaks to Brother Andrew and he says, Andrew, how many pastors are in prison in Holland? And Andrew says, none. And why is that? Andrew has to think for a moment. And he says, because we do not take full use of the gospel in our lives. It's coming from, it's coming from God's smuggler. And then he gets to the heart of the question. He, gets, he asks this really big one. He says, what do you do with 1 Timothy 3.12? Brother Andrew opens his Bible and turns there and reads these words. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He closes his Bible slowly and he says, Forgive me, brother. We do nothing with those verses. Brothers and sisters, we're talking about the cost of discipleship. And if I could just say, forgive me, because I believe that we also do nothing with a lot of the verses that I just read. You can be comfortable, you can be safe, you can be secure but I do not believe you can be godly in this life. Jesus says that people like you and me who seek pleasure and seek comfort in this life, we will get it. I will get it. But that will be our reward now. Those who forgo Those who pick up the cross, they will get their reward in the next life. We as Americans, we want it both ways. We want heaven now and heaven later. And Jesus says you can't get that. You have to have the cross now. He did not promise a vacation. He promised a cross. Please repent of your complacency and pick up your cross Because suffering is coming for the Christians and suffering is essential. Luke 14 again, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. He does not say, should you happen to have a cross? Jesus assumes that those who have faith in him, it will cost them something. It will cost them something dear. It will cost them laying down their life in life, and for some it will cost them laying down their life in death. If I can ask, where is your cross? Where is the place where your faith costs you something? Does it cost you something to follow Jesus? Because Jesus seems to say that it should. Americans, where is your cross? I know some of you might say to me, but no, this is America. This is a land of religious freedom. Like, it's not the same. It's not the same. You don't understand. And I'll grant you that. It's a very different context. But if I can ask a question, why do so many of you struggle with fully living out the gospel in your life? Why do so many of you struggle with sharing your faith with another person? I know there are some non-Christians in the room. To my non-Christian friends, this might be a little awkward, but I want you to know that the friend that brought you here, he or she actually believes that you are not right with God. 
he or she believes that you are on a destination for eternal damnation. He believes that you need to repent. I want to ask you to have a conversation with your Christian friend. Why don't we talk about this stuff? And if I can be honest, for the Christians in the room and for myself, it's because we're scared. It's because we'd rather choose what's comfortable in life than the cross of Jesus Christ. Christians, your reward, your glory, is in the next life. Jesus promises that suffering is now, but you have to embrace it. Because when you embrace the sufferings of Jesus, there is glory and there is joy. That is what Peter sees. Peter saw Jesus Christ die on the cross and he saw the glory that followed. He saw majesty follow, so he can say with all honesty that instead rejoice, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the glory that follows. Rejoice now as the sufferings come so that your joy may be more full. Rejoice. Glory is coming. Joy is coming. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this way, Paul, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. A weight of glory. Any suffering, any affliction that you feel now, it is preparing for us the capacity to understand, to comprehend God's glory in a way that will far outline whatever you feel now. It's not even worth comparing that weight of glory. Suffering leads to glory, and God will use it now in your life to wake you up. He will use it to melt our cold hearts of stone. He will use it to show you how much greater He is, how much worthier He is, what life He has for you. That cost of discipleship, how much greater of a life He is. He will pour out His grace on your life. If you pick up that cross, pour out His grace. And He will use your life as a signpost, telling everyone that there is so much more to life. There is joy. There is glory. Your cross that you pick up will become a crown. This is the idea of the furnace. This is why Peter talks in this language. A fiery ordeal is coming upon the Christians. It is coming upon those if they would embrace it. See, the idea of a furnace is that metals go in And it heats up. And as it heats up, the impurities come and they scoop off. And something more pure, more proven, more tested, more strong comes out on the other side. And Peter says, that is your faith. For those that embrace the suffering, that is your faith. That is your joy and that is your glory. For those that embrace the furnace that is ahead of them, it is to test you so that your faith may be proven genuine and your joy may far outweigh what comes through. But you have to embrace that furnace. I don't know if many of you know this, but there's actually a a literal story in the Old Testament, uh, Daniel 3, where Christians, sorry, where Old Testament believers were thrown into an actual fire. They were thrown into a literal flames. They experienced societal pressure They experienced a people saying, you do not live out your faith. You conform. Be quiet. Believe what we believe. Do what we do. And they said no. And they were thrown into a furnace. And do you know what the Bible says then? It says, one like the Son of God was there with them. 
that God was with his people. God never leaves them, and he will not leave you. He saves his people through literal flames. He will save you through whatever afflictions come. But you must embrace the trials. You must step forward in your faith and pick up your cross. I want to end our time tonight with another Old Testament prophecy that says this. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. Now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. The Lord is with His people through every flame and affliction, but you must embrace suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the chance to speak of it. God, I pray, I pray for a burden on my heart and on theirs. Not a burden of shame and not a burden of guilt. God, I pray for that burden, that eternal weight of glory, that it will rest on them that it will rest on them like you say that your spirit, the spirit of God and of glory rests on us. God, I pray that you would not let us be satisfied with comfortable lives, that you would not let us be satisfied with half Christian and half worldly lives. Lord, may we embrace the cost. May we embrace the call wherever that leads. I know you love us, Jesus. Give us the strength to love you with all of our might. It's in your name I pray. Amen.